thank you for showing up. Uh, grateful you're here. We are in leadership uh, sermon series. So week number two on leadership. Uh, last week we talked about um, being destined towards greatness and how that Moses' mother uh, raised him, uh, bore him, and uh, knew he was destined for greatness and looked at a way of protecting him and how she built the basket and structured the basket and how uh, sheltered kids are the best kids. So when you shelter your kids, as parents in this room, understand that uh, some people look down upon sheltered kids, that parents are too restrictive or too uh, structured in leading their kids, but I believe it's a godly thing to have standards and to give your kids boundaries and uh, have when no means no and yes means yes. That's what the Bible says that God says, yea is let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. So it's a biblical thing to have boundaries for your kids. But to understand also that they're destined for greatness and how to set them up for success and how Moses' mother did that. Uh, she real, truly looked forward for Moses and how she defied the odds of that generation that most kids that were thrown into the river were thrown in and died. But she looked at her son and said, I'm going to give him a chance. So whenever you are looking at your kids thinking, how am I going to raise them up in this world that we're living in today that's falling apart, it seems like society is crumbling, know this, that if you set boundaries and condition your kids and put a boundary around them and give them a basket, it gives them a chance. And we're grateful for that leadership is thinking that people have destiny, that people have purpose. And that's one of the key uh, parts of leadership in my mind is believing in others and believing that God has a plan for their life. But in week two, I want us to go along a little farther in Moses' life and look at how Moses had convictions, that he uh, had uh, convictions that he lived out and how that he knew and understood the world from a different perspective than other people around him. And we need to pray to God for insight, that he would give us insight of how to live this life and how to live a convicted life, uh, the life of convictions, and how important it is in leadership. And I read some articles uh, this week about how the uh, convictions in leadership is, there, there's all kinds of things on Forbes magazine and different parts, even in secular world, about leadership, about how conviction applies to leadership. So it's not only our Christian world that has these uh, principles in them, but also it works in the secular world too. So whatever lessons you're learning here will help you in your home, I'm sure. They'll help you on your job and they'll help us here at church. So this is multifaceted and think from whatever perspective you're living today. So a conviction is this, a firmly held belief or an opinion. And I don't know about people in this room, but there seem to be some opinionated people in the church. Can somebody say amen? The church is usually full of opinionated people. They'll give you their opinion in an instant. They don't care a bit to jump all over you and let you know their opinion. And that's one thing Christians are known for. And as I've lived my life, and the older I get, the more I see this, that I believe more in the verse that uh, it says that God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. So living a convicted life doesn't mean a boastful life or a condemning life of others, but it's a convicted life that allows us to live a humble life. And I believe that God gives grace to the humble. How many wants God's grace? Amen. I'd rather have that than his judgment. So as we look at that, think about it from that perspective that a, whenever you have convictions or a firmly held belief or an opinion doesn't mean you have to offer that to everybody you come across. 
You don't have to point your fingers at everybody and tell them everything they're doing wrong. Uh, a convicted life means a personal conviction, one that you're living out to the best of your ability. So as I, I thought about that conviction that Moses had, uh, it really comes from, stems from the story of where that he, in Exodus chapter 2, uh, that Moses is living life, that his mother did put him in that river, and then uh, whenever Pharaoh's daughter finds her, finds Moses, she pulls him out and says, well, here, take and find a Hebrew mother, and uh, take him back to her, and let her raise him until he's weaned, and whenever he becomes weaned, then I want him back, and Moses' mother was the one that got the baby back because the sister was there. And we know through this story that, you know, the sister brings it back to the mom. And the mom knew that she'd give this baby up. And now the baby's back. And she's nursing this baby and caring for this baby and having compassion for this baby. But how hard would it be for this mother of this child? I don't understand this. I'm not a parent, but there's a lot of parents in the room that does. The care you have for your child. And how much truly you really believe in their well-being. And you do everything you can to set them up for success. But this mother knew that she was going to have to turn back over this baby. And in this time and this season of the nation of Israel, they were slaves. And Pharaoh and Egyptian were slave owners. Can you imagine this mother turning her son, her child, over to the enemy? How much trust would that take? To take your child, a young child, and place it in the hands of the enemy. As somebody that hates your people. That hates your group as a family. It would be today, in today's world, it would be like one of us taking our kid and placing it in the care of somebody from Al-Qaeda or something. It just doesn't make any sense. How hard would that be? Kind of dumbfounding, really, when I look at the Bible that way. But whenever I'm reading my Bible, I don't just want to look at it as black and white letters on this page and not really dig in. So whenever I read my Bible, I try to dig into it and read into it to understand and think about things that way. Don't just read your Bible just reading through it to read it, but think about it for a minute. How hard is that to hand a baby over? But his mother does it because it's the world she's living in. She was told to throw her baby in the river. She figured out a plan to put him in a basket, right? But here she is handing her child over a second time. And it's going to be raised by the king's daughter. The enemy of her people. But as she hands him over, she's just got to trust God. So sometimes when your kids land in unfortunate circumstances what do you have to do you have to trust God you have to believe God you just have to say God whenever I place them here I don't understand this makes no sense to me but whatever happens let it happen God and you are in charge anyway and I believe when I pray to you that you answer prayers and you change situations so Moses lands as a young child in this New family of his, and here he is in the Egyptians, and it grows up. And the Bible don't say a whole lot about it. So if you're reading uh, Exodus chapter 2, you're going, going a few verses, and it's going covering all this time frame that's not really spelled out of, of the details of it. So me being me, wanting to know history, wanting to know the culture of what's going on and trying to look at this from a perspective to dig out information and glean information for us as a church about leadership. 
It just simply goes into this that Moses grows up and there comes a point in time where he goes out and he sees this Egyptian beating on his people. Beating on one of his family members. He knows that he's an Israelite. He don't lose the fact that his heritage is there. And if you've ever seen the movie of Moses, you'll see that Moses was dressed like the Egyptians. He, he even had the makeup like the Egyptians. He looked like the Egyptians because he was raised by them. But internally, he knew that he was different. And as he went out and seen his people group, and he seen one of his cousins per se, and as he looked and seen one of those cousins being beaten by Egyptian, he gets mad. He's frustrated by it. He's convicted by it that that is wrong. So I didn't understand a whole lot about that. Why don't God give us more insight into how Moses was raised? But if you were just reading Exodus chapter 2 and you don't really study about it or try to dig into it any, you're going to come to a conclusion, well, I don't know anything about that. But if you look in the Bible, so that's verses 10 and 11 talking about what we just talked about. If you'll turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 7, it's going to give us a little more insight into what Moses, what his raising was like. Acts chapter 7, verse 22, it says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And we know today in this world that we're living in that words matter. Amen? The Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. We was raised up as kids. They said sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? But that's not true. Words hurt. So we've got to be careful in our speech. We've got to be careful in what we say. And sometimes in the heat of the moment or in, in the middle of an argument or something like that, and maybe this is between a husband and a wife, that you'll say words that are, that are hurtful, that are harmful, that carry on and go on and on. Uh-oh, Mackenzie's looking at Lathan. Oh, he hurt, she hurt you. Oh, that's what it was. Lathan was looking at Mackenzie. He's a big crybaby anyway. He's telling, the, right, Josiah? Lathan's a tough guy and cried at a concert yesterday. It's very touching. I love it. I've been there and done that. So I love crying. Crying is a sign of strength, not of weakness. Amen? I love crying. Crying's the best. Makes you feel better. So if you need a good cry every now and then, don't look around and think everybody's going to think I'm weak. I'll think you're strong. If you cry at church, I love it. Crying's a good thing. So Moses knows that words matter. But sometimes it's not just words that we need to live out or talk about in our Christian faith. It needs to be deeds. It needs to be our actions. Let my actions line up with my words. Don't let me just say that I'm a Christian, but let me be a Christian. Let my actions prove what I'm saying I am. And as a young man that gave my heart to Jesus at the age of 23, I was working construction. I talked to John about this this past week that whenever I first become a Christian, it was it was kind of hard on a job site because these job sites have these C boxes things, and Ryan's a construction worker, and there's some rough people, these construction workers. I mean, there's a lot of cussing and a lot of bad business goes on 
uh, and construction world. But I decided that when I got saved, I really wanted to be saved. That I didn't want to be embarrassed by my salvation, right? So on my welding helmet, I still got it at home, my original welding helmet. I've got it and I drew this Christian Igthus fish symbol on my welding helmet. That way, whenever somebody seen my welding helmet sitting on the break room trailer, or if I was sitting there performing a task in welding, that they walked by and there's a flash going on, that they would see this Christian symbol so they knew I was a Christian. I wanted it to be known. I was proud of the fact that I did become a Christian. But at the same time, whenever you begin to profess you're a Christian, that automatically brings about... Everybody else looking at you saying that you're not. They begin to inspect your life. And then they'll tell you how all of your uh, things that you're saying you're a Christian, they'll look and they'll tell you every reason you're not a Christian. And they'll pick you apart and say, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. And I can't believe you say you're a Christian and still do this. Wherever you say you're a Christian and become a Christian, become saved doesn't mean you're perfected in an instant. Amen? That sanctification isn't an instant thing that you walk up to an altar or get, pray to God for salvation that all of a sudden, and yes, there is a washing and a cleansing that takes place and you can feel your heart lightened and you can feel like a burden lifted off your shoulders when you become saved. But that doesn't mean that the actions you're going to walk out from that is always going to be perfect for the remainder of your life. Can anybody say amen? But the deal is, do I want to live it? Or am I just saying it? Moses, in his leadership abilities, knew that his actions were as important as his words. So as he was convicted by this thing with this Egyptian, he was really distraught by it. And he looked that day, and the Bible says that he becomes so angered and so enraged. But he, it says that he looked from one way, and then he looked another way, and nobody was there other than his kinfolk and this Egyptian. And it says Moses struck him and killed him, the Egyptian. And as this said about, it made me go and look at this from a, a whole different perspective than I ever have before. And it brought about this topic that I think is truly Something our society is going through today. It's something we face on a daily basis. And it's the topic of bullying. And I would like to go on the record and say this, that bullying is wrong. Well, is Ernie the only person in this room that believes that? What's the rest of Ernie, me and you versus them. I'm going to give you one more opportunity. I would like to go on record as a church, the Bridge Church, and say bullying is wrong. Amen. Amen. But as Moses looked at this bully, bullying his people, he bullied him. So does it make it all right to bully a bully? No. 
bullying a bully is just carrying on whoever's, it's like how his chicken farm out there. You go out there and every chicken gets pecked. And who, who, there's one of them on the whole farm that don't get pecked. There's 200 chickens there and everybody pecks somebody else. And then who figures out? It's the pecking order, they call it. It's truly from chickens. And I always felt sorry for chickens. The, the chicken that get pecked all the time, I'll go kick the other chicken for pecking the chicken. Makes me mad. I don't like bullying. I really don't like it. But bullying a bully doesn't make it right. Amen? I'm not saying let bullies carry on their actions without any repercussion. I'm saying when it becomes an act of bullying a bully, you're just as much in wrong as the bully was. But I will say this. Standing up for what is right is never wrong. Standing up for what is right is never wrong. So as Moses stood up this day, rather than getting so enraged and so convicted and so impassioned about this topic that was going on and he seen his cousin getting beat, he becomes so enraged by it that he killed this guy. How many knows one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not kill. It's not God's will to kill people for doing wrong. And sometimes our act of injustice towards injustice is that we would rather them be dead than live. So this bullying topic is something that's near and dear to me. That as a kid on a school bus, riding up and down Brawry Holler, there was somebody that was in high school when I was in middle school, a lot older than me. They enjoyed flipping you on the ear. They enjoyed punching me in the arm. They enjoyed it for some reason. It brought excitement to their life that they was capable as a senior to pick on this little eighth grader. And it, be it becomes so entrenching to me that I just feared going to school every day. And we wonder why kids in schools today are carrying in guns and blasting down people and usually it stems back to a period of bullying. And if they don't take other people's life, just like the young man up in northern Ohio this past week, a little eighth grade kid, took his own life because people were bullying him at school. It's a topic that I get passionate about because I've lived it. And I know this, that I couldn't defend myself. How am I as an eighth grader? And I was a run anyway. Truly, I was four foot eleven in the ninth grade. I was the littlest kid there. So on the bus every day, this would happen. And it seemed like an eternity to me, but looking back, it probably wasn't more than maybe a week or two. But this guy would pick on me, and then his buddy would say things too. And it was like, man, I, it made me mad thinking about it. I still today, when I think about being bullied as a kid, I get mad about it. But one day we was on the bus and this guy decided he was going to bully me again that day. And I forget the fear that it brings when you see that happening. Then I'm thinking, here it goes again. But this day something was different. Thank God I had an older brother. Amen. Sitting here. He was just a year older than me. 
But he decided that day he had seen his little brother get picked on for the last time. And he stood up and he said, not today. It's over. And he told this senior, get off. You know what he did? Never picked on me again. It's never wrong to stand up for what is right. Are you a bully, Debo? Why are you laughing at me? He's my brother. You're the one loafs with him. So I'm saying this as a church and as a group of people, if we're going to lead, we have to have convictions. And convictions is that wrong is wrong and right is right. That black is black and white is white. So if you know of harmful kids in harmful situations or uh, in this bullying type world, there's nothing wrong with standing up and saying it's wrong. And there needs to be some adults doing that. Amen? That it takes adults to stand up sometimes and say it's wrong. But I'm not about bullying the bully. I'm not about being, as a group, getting together and bullying somebody else. I'm just about saying right is right and wrong is wrong. And I think if we as Christians in leadership roles that we're in, and there's bus drivers at this church, there's teachers at this church, there's custodians, there's all different uh, types of people at our church that can impact kids in school. And if we can set the tone that bullying is wrong, that adults stand up and say it's wrong, and openly profess that and, and confess that before others, that those words will, be, will matter. They will have an impact on the situation that kids are in. I'm not telling you to go bully a bully. I'm just about telling that it's wrong. Let's stand up for the weak among us. Let's stand up for those less fortunate than us. And it doesn't even go as far as just in school kids because it carries on throughout life. Amen? Kid bullies turned into adult bullies. Doesn't make it right. So whenever you're sitting there and you've got a pretty good income yourself and you've got a pretty good way of life yourself and you go to a restaurant and there's some little uh, mom of kids there that's maybe a single mom and she's there waiting on tables and she's worked two jobs that day and had a bad day and she comes out and don't have the same lease on life that you do, it's not your responsibility to sit there with a Christian smirk on your face on Sunday and tell them how wrong they are and tell them how bad of a job they're doing and point them down on them and say, why don't you just pull up your bootstraps and climb I'm on up the ladder of success. That makes us no different than that bully on the school bus. Amen? And some people say, I'll tip when they do a good service. Man, lastly, we try to tip no matter what kind of service we get because I don't know what kind of day that young girl's had. I don't know what kind of life she's living at home. One thing a preacher told me a few years ago was this. How, how do you want to know who to help? That's a question that comes up. Who should I help? And he said this. He said, anybody you wouldn't trade places with. That made it pretty clear for me. Who should you help in society? Anybody you wouldn't trade places with. And that takes on a lot. Amen? So Moses had this principle of convictions and sometimes you take it too far. 
And that's what I'm saying, bullying a bully is wrong. But standing up for what right is right is correct. And as I think back through society and I think back through the church culture of how leadership and convictions and leadership matters, I, th I couldn't help but think about Martin Luther. As he had a conviction about this thing as he was studying through the Bible and reading the Bible and trying to understand God's principles in his life in the culture he was living in where the Catholic Church dominated the world. That poor people had to pay penitence and had to pay for their salvation. How many of you today would like to have to pay for your salvation? Martin Luther stood up and nailed 99 theses to the doors of the church and said, it cannot happen that way. I'm standing up for the weakest among us, and I'm saying with these convictions, I'm nailing things to the church door to say the church is practicing wrong principles. Standing up for what is right is never wrong. So I look all the way through the Bible and think through these things that as we think about Daniel in the lion's den, and how that Daniel was there, and, and he, he, he knew that he had to stand up, and he knew that he was in this kingdom, and this other world that he was living, in this condition, that he knew he couldn't bow down to a false god. It placed him in a lion's den. Sometimes when you stand up, you'll end up in situations that you wouldn't have ended up in if you would have bowed. How many believes our Christian faith is worth fighting for, is worth standing for, is worth taking up for? But the greatest story of all these is the one I believe is Stephen. He shared the truth. And actually the verse that we read a minute ago in Acts chapter 7 is actually the words of Stephen. He was the first martyr of the church. So the first person ever killed for being a Christian in the church as far as we know of is this guy named Stephen. And as he's standing in Jerusalem and he's telling these people the truth about Jesus and telling them about salvation and telling them about all these things that Jesus did, there's people there that wanted to kill him for telling the truth. And he knew this was going to happen. And he told the truth anyway. He stood up anyway. And we wouldn't know the things we know about Moses except for the fact that in the Bible, that it's in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is telling these truths. It's important for us to do what is right. So in leadership, to have a principle of convictions is a good thing. A wise pastor a few years ago told me that there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. He said too many Christians in the world today want to condemn others rather than pray for conviction of others. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever lived through conviction, where that you can feel God drawing you, that you can sense the Holy Spirit moving in your heart and moving in your life and calling you to come towards Christianity and to attend church and do things, when you know that conviction is there that draws you like a magnet, God wasn't condemning you to come. He was convicting you to come. And that's where it says in Romans chapter 8, Therefore thou, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Our God is not a condemning God, but He will convict. And when He convicts, it causes our hearts to be pliable where we're willing to change the way He wants us to change. It's two different things. So if we want to be like God and emulate God, we should be a church that doesn't condemn others, but prays for conviction of others. 
Amen? I don't want bullies to stay in their bullying state. So what should I do? I shouldn't have to go and, and condemn them. I should pray for conviction that they will know what they're doing is wrong. Just like Moses, when it says he looked from side to side, he was looking to see if anybody else was watching before he killed this guy. Can I tell you that that was the still small voice of God telling him in his heart of hearts it was wrong? It's called conviction. There's something real whenever you read these articles in Forbes about leadership and conviction and leadership and how that uh, your gut feeling and how that God can give you insight about situations that you're facing, that you're going through. If you will listen, He is speaking. He is declaring truth in your life. The deal is, what are you going to do with it? How's it going to work? Because your actions has to align with His words. I found this story as we're getting ready to finish of a missionary overseas. He went overseas, and during this, this is a true story about an Assembly of God missionary. When missionaries come here, I, I give them, I, might, I want our church to be very hospitable towards them because, like they said, Mackenzie said last week, a lot of them are giving up everything. And Dusty talked about how that they'll sell homes and. We watched a missionary one time that they loved their dog, their family loved their dog, their daughters loved their dog, and they gave their dog away and said, we're going to be missionaries, and we can't have anything or take anything with us. But I come across this, and one of the deals back then, in, in the, when the synagogue's first church, church first began back in the early 1900s, the missionaries, as they would go, they would build their coffin and place whatever things they could fit in their coffin and ship their coffin to the country where they were going. And they knew they would never return back to their homeland here. Here's a story about a pastor named Samuel. He went to this foreign country and he was there to plant a church and he helped build a good Christian nation in this church and as he did, he was in the midst of a, as a, of a Muslim nation. So these Muslims looked at him, and the Muslim, one of the Muslim leaders said, Pastor Samuel must die. And he said, make sure it happens. And he had two armed guards there with him, and the two armed guards took weapons, and they went to carry out this Pasad order. Because Pasad was a leader of a, finite, a fanatical anti-Christian organization in South Asia. Pastor Samuel had defied his warnings too often. Now he would pay with his life. More than 20 years, Pastor Samuel had ministered in the area. Through God's blessing, a strong assembly of God church had been planted. But these victories had not come without opposition. Now his life was being threatened. As he walked towards the church this day, Pastor Samuel struggled with a question that plagued his mind. Should he take his wife and seven children to a safe place? Or should he remain faithful to his calling and his ministry? Approaching the church, Pastor Samuel saw two men standing waiting for him. He knew his decision had already been made for him. He would give his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The men soon reported back to Passad that they had left Pastor Samuel's mutilated body by the ground. Their words caused their leader to gloat. Surely now the church would crumble under his hand. Pastor Samuel's congregation knew that Passad had ordered the blo their beloved leader's murder. They also knew that Passad would not be brought to justice because his organization had power, powerful political connections. But they refused to give in to evil. Everybody say it with me. It's never wrong to stand up for what is right. Shortly after the killing, two bold women from the church approached Basad and tried to give him the gospel tract. Basad tore up the tract, flung the pieces in their face, and cursed them. Enraged, he got into the car and drove away. A short time later, he was injured in an automobile accident. While he was recuperating in the hospital, a woman who did not know Passad's condition situation gave him a gospel tract and witnessed to him. This time, the message of Christ's love touched the murderer's heart. Under great conviction, he surrendered his life to Jesus. This turn of events caused turmoil among Passad's people. Ordered to deny his faith, he remained steadfast. In humiliating ceremony, he was cast out of his family. He also signed a legal document surrendering his rights as a member of his high social class. Members of the congregation, can you imagine this church? Knowing this enemy had killed your pastor, but loving him anyway. Jesus said these words, pray for those that despitefully use you. Pray for those that want to harm you. What conviction are you living out in your life today? How long has it been since God has spoke to you and you said, I need to change? Won't you stand? never wrong to stand up for what is right. I want everybody here to bow your head and close your eyes. And I really want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to to show you how this message is speaking to you. Pray for Him to condition your heart. So everybody just pray and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today through this message? Is there anybody here today that would say, Pastor, 
I don't know God. Or I've known Him at one point in my life and I've walked away from Him. And today I want to come back home. And I want to ask Him to be Lord of my life. I want to stand for what is right. Is anybody here to lift your hand and say, that's me? Amen. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? Today is the day I'm coming back home. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for touching us. Now, I believe there's other people in this room who have professed Jesus as your Savior. You've asked Him to be Lord of your life. And you know that your actions haven't been lining up with God's Word. And you're going to pray today and ask Him to help you be convicted. And that your deeds will be the same as your words. I want to live like Jesus. Is there anybody here raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to live like Jesus. Amen. Thank you for those hands. Amen. Amen. Thank you for those hands. I want everybody here to pray this prayer with me. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you. In Jesus' name, I'm asking you, forgive me for my faults, for my failures, for my sin. Help me to live a life that is pleasing to you. Convict me when necessary. Help me to live like you so I can make eternity my home in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen.